You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Good Thursday morning. It's Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen, who's on paternity leave. He's winding that down. He'll be back on Monday. Jake Query here as well. Sam Fritz on the producer board. Right now, it's time to turn to the phone lines. He is the writer for the Indianapolis Star and Bloomington Herald Times. Indiana, Indiana Athletics beat writer Dustin DePirac joins us. Dustin, good morning to you. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so the Hoosiers off to a 2-0 and start. They take on Western Kentucky this weekend. Have expectations been elevated since the Hoosiers got off to this hot start? Originally, I think the over-under was four and a half wins on the season. Uh, have the expectations changed in Bloomington? Uh, moderately. I mean, the over was really important uh, for them to go out and get that one, basically. They were able to beat somebody. Um, and and obviously win a Big Ten game, which they hadn't done since, you know, since 2020, since things were going well. Um, so I would say that they're mildly elevated, but uh, not really. I mean, I think uh, the IU fan base was really disappointed by the fact that they fell, fell behind 10 nothing to Idaho. Uh, and I think there were some elements and reasons for that, but all the same. I mean, they were, they were down 10 nothing to an FCS program uh, at halftime. And, uh, you know, it's obviously better that they came out and scored five touchdowns in a row uh, to start the second half and put that game away. But um, still obvious, obvious concerns. I don't think anybody's looking into Indiana and seeing, oh, man, they're – they, they might be back to 20, you know, to their 2020 form. Um, I think the question is, you know, can they eke out six wins? Uh, I think that's, that's kind of the question. I think it seems more realistic now than it did when the season started, but only by so much. And I, I think that they're still on the rate on the raises edge with that. I don't think anybody looks at this team and says, well, they might be Michigan or anything like that uh, at this point. So that's, um, you know, they're somewhat elevated, but not much. And I would definitely say that, that, that you know, Indiana fans were running for the, the exits at, you know, at halftime um, when they were down to Idaho. And obviously just, I mean, it matters a lot. They, they rallied back, but still it's only so encouraging to, to beat a, an FCS team. I, I look at, here's the thing. I look at their schedule and I just, I try to find out where the wins come from. Like mm-hmm. initially the over-under was four at the outset of the season, and you thought, well, that's really low. Then you look at the schedule, Dustin. That mm-hmm. side of the Big Ten is brutal, and if Indiana's going to fall back anywhere close to being Indiana, they're in a world of hurt, right? Like, they've got, they have got they could not have afforded to lose the Idaho game, for example. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, God, no. For, for any reason, no. I mean, well, I mean, Illinois was major. Just beating Illinois was a big, big deal, and then obviously that was a tough thing to – you know, have that game, you know, first up. But, I mean, that, there's a reason why Tom Allen was so excited about it, just to, to, to win a win, you know, like, it, it was a winnable game, but, I mean, you, you knew it was going to be tight. You knew it was going to be close. They could obviously go the other way. And, and there's just no margin for error, I mean, to your point. I mean, I think there are, you know, six games that you would say are 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 potentially winnable. And the other, you know, you got Western Kentucky this weekend, and then, you know, down the line you've got, uh, Nebraska, Maryland, and Rutgers. What's and been? Like, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say I mean, none. None of those are locks at all. They could lose every single one of those games. Uh, you know, they could lose Saturday to Western Kentucky. There's no doubt about it. Um, but at least that those are those are games that you can envision them winning. Um, everything else is asking a lot. You know, going to Cincinnati and beating them, even as much talent as Cincinnati lost over the offseason with Ritter and Gardner and all those guys, that's still that's still asking a lot. And beating Purdue at the end of the year is asking a lot. I mean, Purdue could be in, in contention for the Big Ten West at that point. So, you know, like it, it's going to be really hard to get uh, get any wins. And the, those those games on the schedule, the ones that I would circle would be, again, Western Kentucky this weekend, uh, Nebraska October 1st, uh, Maryland, I think, the 15th, and Rutgers the 22nd. I mean, like – they and or, yeah, and Nebraska October October first. I don't think I mentioned, but they've got to win all those. I mean, they've got to win all those because I think those those are where the wins come from. Other than that, you're you're asking for a pretty sizable upset, and so those are the six you need to get if you want, you want to get in bull contention. It's Dustin Napierak on with us on Kevin and Corey on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dustin, what's been your assessment of Connor Bazelik through two games so far? You know, he's all right. <laughs> he's not spectacular, but he's okay. I mean, I think uh, you know I, he does. I think. It, you know the mold that uh, no, not, not such much the mold is the description um, that uh, as coaches and players have given him. I, mean, I think he's he's reasonably talented. There are a few things he does really well. I mean, I think the what one thing I keep hearing um, that I find interesting is that them, them saying he throws a catchable ball, which is a, an interesting compliment. Um, but I get it. I mean, he, he generally, he's not trying to show off there. He puts the ball where it's supposed to be, 
mostly. I mean, when he's trying to hit a receiver, he puts it, you know, he changes tempo. Um, he throws it only as hard as he needs to, and but he throws it to, you know, sort of help his receivers out. Uh, but he can he can be off, and I and I think he was definitely affected by the elements on Saturday. Um, you know, maybe more than than you want to see a guy that that has that much experience. Um, you know, playing in in the Midwest at the end of the day, I and mean, he, he was in the SEC, he was playing at Missouri. Um, you know, I mean, you're 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 going to get you know, you're going to play some games in the elements there. And uh, they just, I mean, they were just sort of a mess on a wet track. Uh, you know, he he was missing, I think, really, you know, makeable passes because um, I don't think he had a great grip on the football. Um, and, and that's, I think, an issue. So from, from time to time, he doesn't make uh, the best decisions. But, you know, when he's got a rhythm, um, he, he can be really sharp. And obviously, I think it, it, I thought it was interesting and I think important that in that game one against Illinois, he already kind of identified who his playmakers were, that he, you know, knew who to go to in that last two-minute drill, uh, getting Cam Camper and DJ Matthews and involved to kind of already you know figured out these are the guys I really trust to make make uh big plays in big games and, and you know I thought that was interesting because DJ Matthews had only played three games uh at Indiana before the season and Cam Campbell was new and Connor Bayslife was new but you know through the course of uh this offseason it developed a good enough chemistry with those guys to know okay you know these are my guys these are the ones I can trust and you know when we got to make plays in two minutes and I you know there's no time to think this is where the ball goes um, so I, I, so I think there's, there's, you know, it's a mixed bag, but I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I think he's generally on the right side of it. Obviously he's won two games. He's thrown for enough. He's come through in, in, in some big moments. Um, so, you know, I, I think they probably made the right call as far as, uh, who they picked the quarterback. I think he's good enough to win them games. He's good enough to win them six. Obviously we'll see. Dustin, when you switching gears from Indiana to Purdue, and I know that Indiana is kind of the epicenter of your focus, but you do cover college athletics across the board. To me, this is a really intriguing matchup for Purdue this weekend because Syracuse is kind of the Purdue of their league, right? I mean, they're I think maybe people look at it and they go, eh, it's not a huge football school, but they're they are not bad. They they simply play well at home. It's a unique environment. Um I kind of like this matchup for Purdue. I, I think it's a good test for them, but is it a test that might be more than they did they bite off more maybe than they could chew here? Oh uh, yeah, they might have. I mean, uh, you know, Syracuse. I think it's been impressive so far. I, I think Syracuse. It's been interesting, obviously, for them to, um, you know, just sort of find their, you know, role in the ACC. I, I, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know as much as, um, really, in I, you know, more, more. I think in basketball, they've obviously had more moments. Um, where you've said, okay, no, no, it, it, like they're they're an ACC power now, but they've obviously faded, you know, and, and like gone back and forth with that. Um, but football, it doesn't seem like they've ever sort of gotten up. Definitely the point that the, you know the, the higher points that they hit, uh, you know, back in you know when they were in the Big East, and they were sort of a, a more you know viable power, I think, in that conference. So they're still kind of waiting to get their sort of moment like that in the ACC. But they're starting off good, you know, with, with this season so far. Obviously, they they beat up on Louisville, they beat up on UConn. Um, you know, like Garrett Schrader looks pretty good. Their quarterback, he's thrown for 528, five touchdowns, no interceptions so far. So that's a good start. Uh, you know, Sean Tucker, the running back, I think is, is, you know, he's over 200 yards so far. So they got some offensive weapons. They've, they've done pretty well on defense. It is definitely a test, I think, for both of them to see, okay, you know, which, uh, which one of these teams is more legitimate. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's significant. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly possible for Purdue to lose this game, but I think, you know, I, I, yeah, they can, um, you know, they, they can take some hits in, in non-conference and be okay. Um, as far as I think their pursuits, cause I think, you know, on the flip side, that side of the big 10 is, you know, a, a lot more doable. Um, but it's going to be, I think, very interesting for them to go on the road, play in the carrier dome, you know, uh, has a chance. It, it's got a chance to be a very interesting football game, I think. Uh, and, and again, it's certainly a game they can lose. But it's certainly a game they can win as well. I mean, I think they they showed some you know really good things, especially against Penn State. Um, you know, they've got some issues as far as running the football um, and, and and not being able to trust that and run out the clock. Obviously, that Penn State game, if they were able to do that, they win it. Um, but again, you know, they they've got playmakers. You know, the O'Connell to Charlie Jones connection, I think, just gives them a shot uh, against just about anybody. Um, and you know, they've got other talented receivers they can go to. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it is definitely a game they can lose, but I think that's a fun football game to watch on Saturday for sure. Do they speaking of Purdue and sticking with that one last time, Dustin, have they adequately found a balance, maybe it's too early to know this, to replace the production of David Bell? Um, I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Bell's a better player than Jones. I mean, Bell Bell I think is special. Uh, well, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, but 
But the one mm-hmm. thing about a guy like that is sometimes they're getting reps that are masking or or not taking away from is the wrong word, but you don't realize that maybe spread out over two or three guys, you can make up for the numbers that are lost from him. But do they know yet whether they have that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, but I do think, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, if you look at this number, it's striking. I mean, Charlie Jones has 21 catches. Nobody else on that team has one six. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, and O'Connell went to Jones a lot uh, in that first game. But that's, I mean, I, I think he's a big, he was a big get, you know, he, he, like getting him transferred from Iowa. I mean, it's obviously like one of those deals where it's, you know, better for both sides. You know, Jones is in a position where he's going to get used a lot more and, you know, probably a lot better. Um, but, I mean, there's a, a, other pieces, obviously, Marshawn Rice, Ty, Tyrone Tracy, you know, certainly got a, a very usable tight end, Payne Durham, TJ Sheffield. They, they've got guys to spread it out to, but they still have a, you know, marquee guy at the top of the list, you know, somebody that uh, O'Connell trusts more than everybody else uh, in Jones. And uh, Jones doesn't – I mean, I don't think he has Bell's size, uh, but he, he's a guy that gets open. You know, I mean, just I mean, just so many times uh, when they needed to make a play uh, in that Penn State game, O'Connell found Jones. I mean, just over and over and over again uh, when when he needed, you know, just somebody to find him. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, twelve catches against Penn State, nine catches against Indiana State. I mean, they, they've got a guy that they can find when they need him. Um, so they're they're close. I, mean, I just think Bell was at, at a different level. Um, but still, having a guy, you know, O'Connell has a connection with Jones that goes back, obviously, before you know, long before Purdue and, and that matters and that chemistry matters. So, so there's just, there's definitely value there. I have, I have a hard time saying that they're in a better receiver position than they were with David Bell. Um, but they've got a guy that they can trust a lot. Um, and so, you know, obviously Syracuse is going to have to try to key in on him, but you know, Penn State knew he was coming too. And I'm sure Indiana State knew, knew he was coming and couldn't stop him. So, you know, we'll see if there's any adjustments that can be made, but they, they've at least got one top line guy. And I think some other, you know, interesting pieces down the line. And so they're in fine shape. They're, they're passing the is in good shape i will say that i don't know if i'll compare it to what it's like when you have a a marquee guy like david bell but it's not far off dustin apirak of the indianapolis star and bloomington herald times joining us on kevin and query i want to circle back to iu Uh, obviously a huge step back last season uh from the first couple under tom allen's watch does it seem like the tom allen mystique is still there as they're off to a 2-0 start or did last season really take really take some shine off of that oh it took a lot of shine off of that for sure i mean i don't think yeah, there's no mystique. I'd say is something that is gone. I, I think it, it is clear after last year that that the um, issues that afflict Indiana in general, just just it being not a historically great program, um, you know that, that there are just you know limitations. And, and I and I say that the fact that like they've they've put a ton of money into facilities over the last ten fifteen years. Um, they've invested a lot more in coaching. So I don't want to sit here and say like, I mean, Indiana is like the weak, you know, like the weak sister in some financial way. And there's, there's hurdles that are, that you can't possibly be, you know, asking anybody to overcome, but they're just, they're just used to losing. And basically when, when Indiana has a bad season, then all of a sudden it becomes hard to, to recruit again. I mean, he'd done a fantastic job of recruiting and done a great job of, of, of keeping that 2022 class together. Um, you know, after, you know, they started losing a lot of those guys were signed, you know, going into the season when they were top 25 program. Um, and he had to just hang on for dear life as they started losing games, but then still managed to pick up a couple pieces at the end um, in December that it was kind of surprising, but you know, they're, they're going to have a small class this year. And I say that to mean, you know, that's a lot of what mystique matters in is because you can you do you have that shine on you when you go out um, you know just into the world and and you know they see you as something bigger than the Indiana football coach um, and so I, I do think that there's some mystique gone and certainly the fan base is a, a little bit annoyed obviously he's protected by a huge contract and what would be a massive buyout if you forced him out the door at this point um, but you know, I, I think he's still. I think he's still very much revered within the department because he's just a guy that people like. Because um, he's, you know, like he, he he's really really energetic, but it's also genuine. It's not fake. But here's the uh, thing, Dustin. Like let, but, let me yeah, tell you my concern yeah, for sure. him. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want you to tell me. And I listen. Yeah. I have been a cynic about a lot of things over the course of my life. It doesn't always make for an easy night's sleep, right? Right. Yeah. Um, if a coach. If you have two coaches who have the exact same trajectory, the exact same results, the exact same whatever, but one of them ascended to his position based on like rah-rah kind of gimmick stuff, and I hate to say gimmick because I know it's genuine, the LEO and the running around and kicking trash cans and jumping into players' arms, I, I get it. 
And that stuff is like a brush fire. At first, people just love it. They can't get enough of it. They can't quit watching it. But the second that things go south of those two coaches we're talking about, if Coach 2 doesn't have those things, he gets a little bit longer leash because people just are paying less attention or maybe even have more patience. It's great to have those things help you ascend and have people buy in, but the second that the production falls off, then all of a sudden it grates on a fan base, where, especially for a fan base that, that saw Tom Crean swigging you know, energy drinks, walking up and down the sidelines all the time. I'm not saying either one of these guys is wrong, but I'm saying that it kind of goes a long way and then once it runs out, it really runs out. And my fear for Tom Allen is that he is teetering on the area of the fan base being totally exhausted by the hijinks. I, where I would disagree. So, so yes, you you you're ab- you're absolutely like, uh, you know, touched off on a phenomenon is certainly true. Um, but I, and and so I think people that are removed from Tom Allen. Um, can see a lot of Tom Crean in there, but having been around both of them closely, there's a huge difference. And the thing about it is, is that what Alan manages to do, partly because it's sincere, it's not manufactured. And even though he is a caffeinated guy, like he's not a caffeinated guy, like Tom Crean's a, a caffeinated right. guy. Um, you know, like I hate to say that because I, I mean, I, I respect the guy and, and, and I think he thinks I don't respect him. So he might stumble across this and get mad at me. Um, but Crean can wear on people in a, in a way that Allen does not. I mean, when I say the department, like just if you talk to people in the department, it's, you know, they love Tom Allen and Tom Crean wore them out. Um, Cause it was little stuff. Tom Crean would make a big deal out of and like care. I mean, like there's, there's value in this, but like Crean cared about marketing a lot, little stuff when it came like down to big heads. Like, yeah. Like, calling people at one o'clock in the morning, asking what video they were going to run in the third halftime of the Wednesday game, stuff like that. Right. Right. I mean, I don't, I, I can't confirm that that story specifically happened, but that's the sort of thing that you hear about so generally, if you will, like, I'm not trying to like accuse that of it, but like that kind of stuff, like, you know, yes, guys, people, people that worked for Kareem would hear from people, him at odd hours. They had a, just wacky schedule. I mean, we didn't we didn't know what practice was going to be like. In terms of like when we had press conferences, we didn't know where they were going to be when we woke up in the morning. We got calls at like nine um, to find out. Okay, coming at eleven, he might be there by one. Like it was just sort of all over the place. And 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 so that that's not the case with Tom Allen. Like there's so like so, but I, I do think that's a part of it. That the hijinks, you know, when when that sort of more of how you know if if, if it's really scattered in terms of not just this, what you see on TV, but what you see every day, that wears on people. And that wears on people who have to decide whether you keep getting paid. Um, and, you know, when, when if, if you're an athletic director and you're looking around and you're wearing out everybody around you, um, you know, that's the issue, too. It's, it's, it's how you work in the company, you know, is part of the issue where I think, you know, Tom Allen doesn't have that sense. It's, it's more like, you know, basically everybody that's around Tom is sort of lifted up by what he does. Because, again, the, the fact that it's not fake really matters. And, like, there's really, you know, like, because you could look at him and say, okay, well, he's like small-town preacher or whatever, but it's not – because that's really real, like, and it's not a, it's not a salesman thing at all. Um, that I think is going to give him more um, leeway. But, but ultimately, though, you got to win football games, you know. Um, and so, like, it's, it, it, you know, that that it, it's I think more important just to ingratiate yourself with the people around you that they'll take up for you longer um, than as you know the the, the, the you know the. Uh, perception matters, but I think it, what, what will save him that didn't save Tom is that Tom Allen's made a lot of friends. You know, I, I think that that's the biggest thing is that Tom Allen's made a lot of friends, genuine people. I mean, I know I, I did a piece on Walt Bell, um, and you know, he was saying that he's one of the best two men I've ever been around in coaching football. And he said it's it's you you have a perception like there there is a perception around college coaching that he's a great guy he says he's even better than i thought he was and obviously you know he's doing this knowing that i'm going to write this and this is public and whatever but like you know i i i got the feeling that he was very very serious about that and so you know again again he knows this is going to be printed that's his boss etc um but i i've never heard anything to the contrary and so i i think that 
that is going to help him a long way. Now, you can't stack two and tens um, and not be in trouble. You know, when, when it starts to go south in the recruiting trail, then it falls apart on you really soon. That's his bigger issue. I don't think – sorry, my dog has thoughts on this. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's – I'm less concerned. If, if I'm Tom Allen, I'm less concerned about his personality might do it to him. It's just does the recruiting trail hold up if you start stacking bad years? He's Dustin Napierak, catches latest in the Blooming Herald Times and the Indianapolis Star. He's going to go take care of his dog. Everything as okay well. with the dog? Is everything okay? Yeah, she's fine. She makes noise over absolutely everything. What's the there dog's name? One person outside, Maxine. Maxine. Hello, Maxine. Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> kissy, kissy. Well, Dustin, take care of Maxine. We appreciate the time. Always appreciate you picking up the phone with us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Sounds good. You have a good one. See you, Dustin. Mark, do you have a dog voice? Do I have a dog voice? Yeah. I don't. I don't think so. What's up, Pooch? Get over here. You don't, have a, you don't have a dog voice? I don't know. Three people in the world said it a thousand times. Three people in the world you cannot trust. Three barometers. I'm go like, hey, buddy, or whatever, like this and that. Somebody who doesn't. Okay, people that don't know how to deboard an airplane. Uh-huh. Stand so up the, as soon as we you land. Or the people that, ju- like, you're trying to get out of your row and people from the row behind are like, moving you're like mm-hmm. no dude you're in 28 you don't you don't leave until 27 is clear right mm-hmm. that's group one group two and this is a big one this is a real sign of a sociopath i mean people that like got bodies in the basement don't return their grocery cart that's a good one too but the third and the most obvious telltale sign of a heartless non-empathetic sociopath is somebody that does not have a dog voice. Okay. When you see a dog, you automatically don't you you know, hey buddy, how you doing? You, you do a dog voice. Yeah. Right. Turn into Al Bundy a little bit. Anybody that doesn't have a dog voice is a sociopath. All right. Well, we'll take that into the next segment. <laughs> Appreciate Dustin jumping on. Zach Kiefer coming up in a little bit. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, the fan. It's knowing that your door is always open. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 at 107.5. The Fan. That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed. I'm not sure what we're doing here. Yeah, what song is this? Gentle on My Mind by uh, Glenn Campbell. Oh, okay. Was, is, is it only rock and roll? Do we not deviate to country or folk a little bit? I'm not a country guy, but I, I just was curious what song that was. I feel like I need to go back to bed. <laughs> Mark, I was thinking about this this morning, and I wanted you to expand upon it. This is going to sound like an odd question. I grew up, when I was born, my family lived in Shelbyville. My dad, both of my parents are Indianapolis natives, Northside Indianapolis natives. And my dad was in the steel business and worked for a company called Shelby Steel, which later became O'Neill Steel, but it was based in Shelbyville. So we lived in Shelbyville when I was born, although I was born in Indy. And then when I was very young, we moved to Evansville for a brief period and then moved back to Shelbyville. And then the summer before I started kindergarten, my parents, both being Indianapolis natives, moved back to Indianapolis to the house where they still lived that I grew up in on the northeast side. And so I've lived my whole life with the exception of some job stints elsewhere, St. Louis, New York notably, and a year at the University of Kansas. I have lived my entire life really in Indiana. And so doing a radio show talking about Indianapolis to me is – it comes naturally to me because it's just talking about the things that I grew up in. You know, when I think of – Linder's Ice Cream and Service Merchandise and Sammy Terry and Cowboy Bob and Channel 4 and, you know, the, the tuba before a Purdue game and Martha the Mop Lady and all of those things, uh-huh. it's just very instinctive to me. And I in, enjoy being in the area that is the epicenter of my upbringing. So I'm curious for you. The dynamic or the dichotomy from an emotional standpoint of the fact that, and I give you a lot of credit, I think it's remarkable. I've said the same to other people that I've done radio shows with that are not from the market. To be able to, I I think you have a skill set that far exceeds mine because you are being forced to talk about things that are not naturally in your background upbringing backyard. 
And I think that takes far more skill set and, and breadth of knowledge than what I bring to the table. But I was thinking about the fact that you, with Kevin now being a father of two, Kevin Bowen, who grew up also in central Indiana and is raising kids in the footprint of where he grew up, is it odd for you to know that you are raising children who this is now their home and your home is not? No. Theirs. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I know my my kids, especially when we go see like my parents or my wife's family up in Northwest Indiana and Illinois. They're always like, "Oh, I wish we were closer." I'm like, "Yeah, that that'd be nice and everything, but we like where we live and everything." Yeah, all three daughters born at IU West Hospital over in Avon. Um, we're closing in on though where where I'll have lived in Indiana almost as long as I've lived in Illinois now right. because I've been here since since college. I moved away after graduation for a little bit, but it's closing on to where I'm going to have more years in Indiana. Than in Illinois, so we're quickly getting there. Uh, it was a bit of culture shock when I first got here, just because you're seeing people walk around and like, uh, I remember walking around and you know people be wearing like Pat McAfee jerseys. I'm like, well, that's odd. You don't really see other NFL franchises walking around in punter jerseys too much, but I saw more than more than my fair share. Obviously, Pat McAfee doing his own thing these days, but you'd see that or you'd see a, a Vinatieri jersey or something like that. Um, but no, kind of, like I said, I got ingratiated with the sports culture here being in college. I remember my first college party was the Malice at the Palace. We had nice. a game on in the there background. And I'm like, what? what's going on right now? And everybody just stopped what they were doing. And they're like, whoa. So that was one of those like historical things. Where I'll always remember where I was for that when, moment. And it kind of took off from there. Where it's just like, you've been involved with it. You've listened to the radio stations throughout the years. And you just kind of... You know, you get the lay of the land and everything. So you kind of become ingratiated with the with the culture and the sports fandom in the state. I was working at Channel 6 when the Malice of the Palace happened. And that is easily, without question, the most edited. So like when we would put together a sportscast each night, you know, you would put the video in that was going to run in that night's sportscast. That is the most edited or, planned or, or, or played piece of video in my more so than any Colts play, Super Bowl play, chair throw, anything. The the video from the brawl was the most edited. I have video. I've edited that video more than any video in the totality of my career. And I always remember the brawl because one of the first times, probably like the the fourth or fifth time that I was on a date with Shannon. Um, she had referenced to me that she thought that I was unfair in my on with JMV, actually, when I was working at Channel 6. She said, you were on the radio, and I thought you were kind of a jerk or you were cocky about the way you talked about the brawl. And I said, well, I don't I don't think that's necessarily accurate. And so we, we, we didn't have a disagreement, but she was stating her case as to, to her vantage point of the brawl. And I remember saying, like, well, why does it matter? I mean, what? why are you that invested in caring about the Pacers-Pistons fight? And she said, well, I take it kind of personally because my father works for the Pacers, which I had no idea. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And then she said that her father worked for the Pacers and then that it was very close to their family, and then I felt kind of bad. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking earlier. Well, I think we we just lost Sean. Call right back. I, I was trying to get Sean on the line. He'd been waiting for like forty five minutes. I will. I will say one thing about though Brett about Favre. about being ingratiated in like the state. Like growing up in Illinois, I didn't really pay too much attention to the Indianapolis five hundred or anything like that. And right. now living here, I've learned to love it. Like I get excited for it. I I mean, it helps that we have guests on all throughout the month of May and all that stuff. But that's one of those things that has definitely been a culture shift. Where I was like, ah, you know, it's on. Like I'll check it, it chicken in on there here and there. And now that I'm I'm in the state invested with my kids here and everything like that, that's one of those events where it's like you get it. You get why people get excited about it. You get why it's such a big deal when you're in the state. I, I didn't really feel that when I lived in Illinois. And now living here for all these years, I get it, I understand it, and I really enjoy it. So that's one of those I, things that's, that I never would have thought of. Had I have always felt that here. hockey – so did you grow up watching a lot of Blackhawks? I did. Uh, there's a whole thing with how the Blackhawks weren't on TV for the longest time with their old owner and everything like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I my dad was a huge hockey fan. I mean, I, I found an event where Bobby Hall was signing autographs, and I brought him, and it was like one of the greatest days of his life. I, I think here's what I've always felt about hockey. By the way, uh, Zach Kiefer going to join us about five or ten minutes from now talk about the Colts. I, I have always felt 
that hockey and auto racing are similar to one another and that if you grow up in, in a market with it, you understand it and enjoy it. But if you grow up outside of that market, you'd be like, what? And hockey to me is a little bit like algebra. And by that, I mean the trick for me now in learning algebra is that there are a lot of formulas or problems that I am under a false assumption are more intricate than they really are, and I'm overcomplicating it. Mm-hmm. And then I have to kind of step back, and I'm like, wait, okay, wait a minute. This is all I need to do here to get to this answer, right? And with hockey, I think for a long time I was intimidated in watching it because I didn't grow up with it, and so therefore I, I assumed that it was more intricate than it is. And in reality, it's like, no, you've got like, a couple of guys that are on offense, a couple of guys that are like a line of defense in case the puck comes the other way, and it's very grueling. So there's constantly dudes hopping off the fence to, or hopping off the bench to come back in and replace other dudes. Right? Yeah, I mean, but I always think it's 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 just impressive because not only do you have to be good at playing hockey, you have to be good at ice skating and not just ice skating forward, but backwards as well, side to side. There's a lot of a lot of details you have to be good at just to be a hockey player, and it always impressed me that I'm like you can't just be good at the sport like you can just pick up a bat and like I could swing it here and there you can just be good at running to be in baseball are you an ice skater no 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 I don't need I don't need the you know the guided thing when you go on an ice skate rink I can ice skate I can do that I can't go backwards really I'm not doing any triple lutzes or anything like that but it is amazing I mean the way that they like seamlessly to be honest with you it's, it's kind of surprising that there are not a greater number of hockey injuries yeah. Like you would think, you know, you would think guys all the time, it'd be like a guy would be out. Why is he out? He bruised his leg. He fell on the ice and bruised his leg. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going full speed checking into somebody right into the boards or something Let me tell like you that. Something. It's like, that, that could hurt. With the with the blood thinners that I'm on right now, mm-hmm. it, it literally, if I went out and tried to play one round of hockey, I would get done and look like a raisin. You know what I mean? We get this guy an IV stat. I, I, I literally, I, I mean, I, I anything that I do, I get up in the morning and I, I stub my toe and look down and all of a sudden, like, I, I've got, my toe is black for like, you know, purple for like a week. It's crazy. That is wild. Let's let's hit the phone lines real quick before we get to Zach Kiefer. Curtis has called in. Curtis, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good. What's up? What do you want to talk about? Um, I want to talk about the Colts how they could pass the ball and run. I just hope we beat the Jacksonville Jags this year. Now, Curtis, here's my question. If they don't beat Jacksonville, are you going to jump ship? I'm going to be mad at our team. But, and I just pray we beat them. Listen, Curtis, they got to um, they got to exercise some demons here, right? Because it's still sting. I mean, you're still stinging from last year when they lost down there, right? Yeah. How long you? How long have you been a Colts fan, Curtis? I've been a Colts fan for a long time. Since they came here, right? Yeah. Who's your favorite player? My favorite player is Darius Leonard. Now you know he's Shaquille Leonard now, Curtis. But here's the thing. Just so you know, I would bet you. I'm going to make a wager with you. Are you ready? Yes. I would wager you like a hundred bucks that the next time I'm at the Colts complex, if I ask Shaquille Leonard about this radio show, he would tell me that his favorite caller is Curtis. Yes. That'd be pretty cool, right? So when he's playing on the field, you Curtis can say, and I want you to say to whoever you're watching the game with, when Shaquille Leonard makes a play, say, you know what? That's my favorite player, but I'm his favorite caller. You got it? Yes. All right, my man. Enjoy the game, all right? Curtis. There he is. Telling you, man, he's right, though. He absolutely – it's Jacksonville. It doesn't – it's Jacksonville, right? We say that every year, though. That's what I'm saying. What I'm I'm saying is, Mark, somehow the Jaguars have – morphed from the team that was the automatic layup to the team that just has a stigma about it. Zach Kiefer joins us now from The Athletic on the Payless Liggers guest line. Zach, we talked to a couple of your colleagues about this, but would you agree for whatever reason, and a big part of it is last year, I'm telling you, like Jacksonville is different in the fact that I know it's week two, but it's almost better off that they get it out of the way because 
there is an additional pressure in this game because more than any other from a year ago, the owner of the Colts is still that Jacksonville loss still rings in him. But we've talked about that, right? You agree? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I, I totally agree that it's good that this is early in the season. Like, there's there's not a ton of buildup. There's a lot of buildup for week one, and then you roll into week two, and it's like talking to some players yesterday. Look, they're as befuddled as you and I about why this streak has gone on as long as it has. Like, they just it, – it's just hard to explain. And, and I wrote about this this morning for a story on The Athletic. Like, it's one of the strangest streaks in the NFL right now. Like, the Jaguars – they score six points more per game when they play the Colts versus everybody else. That's a lot. They give up five points less. Like, the numbers, and you'll have to dig in, they're just staggering. Like, the Jaguars just become a different team. But to piggyback on what you asked, I would agree that Jacksonville is important because of what happened in Week 18. But the real division game that really matters to Jim Irsay is Tennessee in two weeks. They got KC in Week 3 at home. Then the Titans come to town, and that's the game that has really gotten to him the last couple of years because they haven't been able to get over the hump and win the AFC South. You know, this is after last year's second loss to the Titans. You remember the left-handed interception, and I would contend the, the interception in overtime and the triple coverage was way worse because Taylor was open 10 yards down the field and probably would have gone for 40. That's the game after that that Jim Irsay called his scouts and his entire staff in and just berated them about not being able to beat the Titans. So Jacksonville is the demons, but Tennessee is the bigger game in the AFC South. If the Colts are smart, they'll just win both. I mean, we're going on seven years of not having success in Jacksonville. I'm I'm looking at the result. The Colts have not scored over 20 points more than once. They've scored 27 points in 2016. Every time else, it's 20 points or less in Jacksonville. So, I mean, the offense just – stagnates for some reason in Jacksonville. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, the whole kicking situation with Rodrigo Blankenship. They brought in Chase McLaughlin, and they brought in Lucas Havrasek. Uh Is whoever kicks on Sunday for the Colts the same guy that will be kicking in Week 17? <laughs> I don't have an answer. They don't even know. Um, one addendum to what you were saying about Jacksonville, Mark. They scored 27 in a game that was in London. That yeah, was not that, in Jacksonville. There you go. So I don't know if that helps the Colts case or anything, but look, this is this is strange. I, I can't remember a time in the NFL where a team had two kickers that they were essentially holding the tryout during practice of a regular season week to see who's going to kick on Sunday. I think it'll probably be Chase McLaughlin. Remember, he was good in, in, in Vinatieri stead in 19. He was good early last year in Cleveland, and then he was bad late and, and couldn't make some of the shorter kicks after making a lot of 50-plusers, but – um, the interesting thing is McLaughlin has lived in Indianapolis the last three years. He's been kicking at Grand Park. So um, it's not a huge transition for him. He didn't have to hop on a flight. He knows the building. I think that helps. Um, they need to figure this out because I think the Colts are just praying that another game doesn't count, come down to the kicker. And that's a bad way to live in this league because there's so many games decided by three and four points, and, and it's probably going to come. But um, look, you, you got to have your kicker make it from 42 yards, and then don't. That's just that's just how it is, and they didn't have that happen Sunday. So I didn't think they had any choice. I think they had to make a move. You know, with uh, with the conversion, 27 points in England is actually 32 over here, so it even gets worse, right? That checks out, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, Zach, what's the latest in terms of the health? You know, Alec Pierce, we now know, is in the concussion protocol. For those that are unfamiliar, that means what in terms of his potential eligibility Sunday? And if he is not there, it means who all of a sudden has an opportunity? It's hard to say what it means because guys react to concussions in such different ways. Some guys miss multiple games. Some guys don't miss any. Um, If he's out there today in a red jersey, I would imagine he's activated by Saturday cleared by the independent neurologist, and he can play. Remember, he stayed in the game. He didn't go to the blue tent at all. He was in the locker room talking normal yesterday. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to be, you know, sidelined, but um, I would I would think that this is going to be a shorter one, but that's just total, total um, theory on my end. So let's say he's out. What does that mean? Well, it probably means Desmond Patman is activated. That doesn't mean he gets a lot of targets. But they're going to need more from Strawn, and you're going to need more from Paris Campbell, and you're going to need more from Doolin. And by that, I mean they can't drop touchdowns in the end zone. Pierce was guilty of one. Doolin was guilty of another. 
if they catch those balls, this team wins by double digits and Matt Ryan throws for 350 and three touchdowns in his Colts debut. It's amazing how much the story and the narrative changes when you make those kind of mistakes that a high school receiver would make. So um, Pierce needs to get back and play better for reasons beyond just the concussion. But, look, Jake, I'll be honest with you. It's a thin receiver room. We've been talking about this for months. I know I talked about it with JMV yesterday. This is what happens, and and they don't have a lot of depth, and they don't have a lot of proven depth behind Michael Pittman. The offense needs to be more than just Taylor and Pittman and Hines. And right now, it's it's kind of a big question mark. They they did show some signs of light late. I, I watched the tape on Monday, and I was impressed with what Campbell did on third down late, and Strong had some big catches, and Doolin did as well. That's good. But, um, look, you got to do it. And, and if they don't step up this week, then teams are going to know they can just double Michael Pittman and that's going to make life really hard for this offense. I think, Zach, what's interesting is Zach Kiefer from The Athletic is our guest on the Payless Liggers guest line. What's interesting to me is, and look, one game does not a season make, I realize, but eventually you can start to see trends that can become bothersome. I think we thought that the experience level and the professionalism of Matt Ryan was going to offset any offensive deficiencies around and allow them to to maintain status until those things rose up and it kind of was even across the board. Is it possible, though, that the deficiencies offensively are actually going to have the opposite effect and limit Matt Ryan and, in his twilight here, not allow him the possibility to to mask the areas where he might be deficient because of age? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Yeah, I would lead towards the former. I, I do think like you said, one game does not a season make. I, I do think it's week one. And I do think I don't think Alex Pierce's career is gonna go down the toilet. Um and I and here's what I lean on with that is it's not that I bind the talent behind Michael Pittman. It's still a question mark to me. But I'm buying Frank Reich in terms of scheming guys open. He's really good when he's got a quarterback that knows how to run his offense at running plays and scheming guys open to put them in a position to do things well. If you go back to 2019, before Jacoby Brissett was hurt, you know he made Jacoby look like a competent quarterback with the, with the ways he was able to get guys open. I think that's going to happen more often than not. I like Strong's talent. Like I'll be honest, like he's he's huge and he's got good hands and he can catch in traffic. Um, so I like some of what they can do. They can they can try the deep ball with Doolin. He's got the speed. Um, I think it's going to be the former. I think Matt Ryan is going to elevate these guys over the course of the season. But the other thing we haven't talked about that, that was a, a big concern I had going in was the tight ends, and they did hardly nothing on Sunday. There's, there's just no – it doesn't feel like there's any sort of weaponry there, right? It doesn't feel like Moelle Cox is anything different than he has been, and maybe that's fine, and, and Grayson didn't do a whole lot, and that just limits your offense again. Like in 18, when they had the best offense they've had under Frank Reich, it wasn't just Andrew Luck the last 10 games. They had a – Real red zone threat in Eric Ebron, that tight end that they love to move around, and they had two eyes. So, you know, right now they have one receiver and a bunch of question marks, and I throw the tight end into that. Matt Ryan's going to have to work. He's going to have to work to bring these guys up. I thought there were signs late that could be encouraging, but, again, they're playing one of the worst teams in the league last week in Houston, and they could only manage a tie. He's Zach Kiefer of The Athletic on Kevin and Query on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, you mentioned him by name. Uh, if there is help for the weaponry for Matt Ryan, it won't be in the form of number 13. I'm sure you've seen the picture already of T.Y. Hilton. Thank you for the memories sign hanging outside Lucas Oil Stadium. They seem to have closed the door for T.Y. Hilton. Does that mean do you think T.Y. Hilton will ever play another step in the NFL? Uh, obviously not in a Colts uniform, but ever. Ever. Yeah, I would lead towards no. I've, you know, I kind of get the sense that T.Y.'s done. Um, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to say it's 100%. If, if a Colts receiver goes down next week, I think you got to call him. Assuming T.Y.'s in shape and he's been you know, staying ready. Um, I don't know that he is, though. I don't know that he is. I think he might have moved on. You know, I was fascinated by this. I reached out to someone inside the building to say, what are you guys going to do with that T.Y. billboard? Like, you got to make a decision before week three when the Colts host the uh, Kansas City Chiefs for the home opener. So I think they kind of made their stance clear. Look, they, they've, they've been polite about this the whole time, saying, you know, we love T.Y., we think he can play. I think the team was ready to move on and, and see what the young guys can do. 
but the verdict's still out, as, as we talked about, Jake. Like, the verdict is still out whether that's the right decision or not. Because and I tweeted this during the game, T.Y. doesn't drop those touchdowns. The one to Pierce and the one to Doolin. T.Y. would have made those catches. Would he have been open? That's a whole other conversation. But that's the risk you take when you go with these young guys. And if they make those catches, you're 1-0 right now. I feel like you have to have a pretty solid answer on if he's coming back or not because that's an that's an expensive bring back to Kinko's. Like, I need to redesign this poster again. <laughs> it's a Snickers commercial, Sorry, right? I made an error. Yeah. Thanks for the memories think, last week. I think they knew. I think they knew, Mark. They just weren't telling me. That's right. Hey, Zach, do they have uh, – last question from me for Zach Kiefer. Do the Colts have roster flexibility to – because we've seen this in the past. It's been a long time ago. But I think we saw with Blankenship – the risk or the danger in a guy, a kickoff guy that isn't used to being the kickoff guy. Is there any chance with the two kickers that they've signed that they could go into a game, one is the kickoff kicker and one is the field goal kicker? Do they have bottom of roster flexibility to be able to carry two guys like that? That's a good question, Jake. And yes, that is possible. That is something that I've thought about. It would be kind of crazy, though. So let's think about this. Let's say they keep both. They keep both on the 53. You get 55 on game day with Paula. That means they have two kickers, three including the punter, and they also have three quarterbacks. Now, Sam Ellinger won't be active, but that's not exactly the best way to use those spots, right? Ideally, you sign Nick Foles to only have two quarterbacks. And this is a big deal on special teams. When, when they lost Rigo Buto Sanchez, I knew that this would be an issue because Rodrigo is – is not that great at kickoffs, and we saw that. And I think what happened on Sunday was it spiraled. He kicked one out of bounds, he kicked another out of bounds, and he was mentally lost. And that's what led to that awful, awful try from 42 yards. So um, now you got to bring in a guy, and this limited the search. The search was a lot harder than people think, trying to find a guy on the street right now who can do both kickoffs and field goals. And the reason they didn't bring in Badgley is because he doesn't do kickoffs. Um, I thought Bowser would have been a fine you know, addition. He was fine last year. You're not going to find a guy that's going to kick 85% on the street right now. But, no, you're right, Jake. They, they do. It, it doesn't make life easier. You like to keep an extra corner just because those guys get hurt a lot. But it's the situation they're in. And this is, this is not a decision. This is not a screw-up they made in August or September. This is a screw-up they made in March and April when they didn't add a better kicker to either compete with Rod or take his job. Verity. They thought I had higher upside, but the dude was like forty percent in training camp. You can't keep him. So this is a problem. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to tackle this down the road in a way you haven't before. You're gonna have to either draft a kicker, which sounds crazy, but look at what the Bengals did with McPherson last year. Well, you're gonna have to go spend some money in free agency and get a really good one because they just don't hit the open market very often. So is Hawk not even an option for kickoffs? Like they just aren't even considering him, or they just don't trust him with that. He's not an option, we were told. Okay. All right. One more for me, Zach. Uh, I meant, I offered this up last week. I said, if they lost in Houston, would there be any repercussions? Obviously, they tied, which didn't make people feel too much better. The fan base is on edge heading into Jacksonville. If, God forbid, they lose to Jacksonville again, are there any significant repercussions you see next week? Define repercussions. Anyone losing their job, um, multiple Jim Ursay videos on Twitter, yelling about the loss? Well, I, I would expect some videos. Uh, no, no one's losing their job. It's not a must win. And, and, I, and I, I don't want to downplay the, the gravity of this game. It does mean a lot symbolically for this franchise. I think the best thing they could do, the best thing for Frank Reich, is they go down there and win 44-17, to 17, and it's never in doubt. But having covered several of these games in Jacksonville, that never seems to happen. Um, no, no one's going to get fired midseason. I, I don't see that barring an utter historic collapse. I don't think that's going to happen. This team's too good for that to happen. But um, this next stretch is really important. Jacksonville, Kansas City, Tennessee, Denver. Like, we're going to find out if this team's for real five weeks into the season. Jim Mercer is not going to overreact. He's not his father. Um but they need they need to show something because that time Houston simply was not good enough. Hey, let me tell you something, Zach. You, you're closer to it than I. But Bob Ursay was known for the infamous like leaving the the you know the owner's box and coming down on the sidelines and firing guys after the game and then you know. Oh of course, yeah. Now He's ri- I've written about it. And and listen, Jim Ursay's not that guy. But that loss last year in Jacksonville tempted him more than any other to become that guy for one day, <laughs> right? 
some things were decided that day. We'll just we'll just put that. We'll just say that. Yep. You you haven't covered the team with them winning in Jacksonville yet, have you? I've been on the beat nine years, guys, and I still I guess they have. covered a win yeah. in Jacksonville. Yeah. So hopefully history made for Zach Kiefer and the Colts on Sunday. They can, they can break that streak. Zach, appreciate the time as always. Thank you for hopping on with us. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, that's Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. You can always check out his latest on The Athletic. I've always wondered this. Are all Jaguars Panthers or all Panthers Jaguars? That's a great question. Let's see if we can can answer that. I believe a Panther is a Jaguar, but just of the all, like the coat is all black, right? So are you saying when the Panthers and Jaguars became NFL franchises, someone didn't really put too much thought into it? They're just like, ah, same thing, just change the color (laughs) scheme. I think that's right. I think all... We need to look this up, but I think all all Panthers Panthers are Jaguars just of a certain color scheme. Am I wrong? According to AnimalCreativeFacts.com, they are two completely separate animals. Then what? Okay, what does it say for Panther? Uh, I'm gonna need more. T- we need to hit a break, and I got I need to research this more before I can give you a. Well, you just proper pulled answer. it up right in front of you. You can't <laughs> read what the hell's in front of you. I got the headline. I don't have the body. You want me to read the body of the text? I, I think a Panther. People are calling in. A, a panther is some sort of – I can't remember what it is, but a panther is a specific kind of cat, and what makes it a panther is its its designation of, like, color and coat. I think that's right. Someone from the Indianapolis Zoo, give us a call, 239-1070. Also, if you want to play the pop quiz, that's up next, 239-1070. A four-pack four of tickets coming to the speed drum. Right now, though, it's time for an abbreviated morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All metros are Jaguars. That is correct, Matt. They are now. Uh, By the way, speaking of college athletics, college football this weekend, it's Ball State hosting Murray State. That's going to be 2 o'clock up in Muncie on Saturday. That game will be getting underway just as Indiana and Western Kentucky theoretically will be wrapping up. That's a noon kick from the Rock Memorial Stadium down in Bloomington. Purdue and Syracuse at noon on Saturday and Cal at Notre Dame 2.30 Sunday kick. On the pro side, the NFL kicks off week two tonight with a huge one on Amazon Prime Video. The Chargers take on the Chiefs. That'll be a good one right there. Heading over to the baseball side of things, the Pirates routed the Reds 10-4. Cubs sweep the Mets 6-3. Cardinals made some history as they beat the Brewers 4-1. That might be in the pop quiz, so I don't want to give too many hints. Guardians run their win streak to 6 as they top the Angels 5-3. White Sox get blanked by the Rockies 3-0. Toledo Mudhens top the Indians 4-3. Pop quiz is next, 239-1070. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 